0: Thank <laughs> you. Everybody, we had a little confusing moment here because, of course, we were all uh, listening, as I'm sure some of you out there were, to the Pope. And um, what an inspiring talk! A little different from what I expected, but um, there certainly were some uh, takeaway lines that um, represent what we in America have been committed to since you know the revolution. And um, we're having a little trouble lately achieving those goals. So he was kind of reminding us that, you know, we are, as he said, quote, the land of dreams. And he got a huge applause for that from everybody in the Congress, uh, many of whom um, you might say sometimes are in the business of thwarting our dreams because they are, unfortunately are representing the interests who pay to get them elected and I'm not the first one to say that so it may be an editorial comment but I think it's a a generally recognized um, reality that uh, we are dealing with um, a time in our history when resources are thin and um, uh, and people are at each other's throat whenever resources get thin And when jobs are less than they should be, especially entry-level jobs into a growing industry area, you have conflict. There's just, you look back at American history and some of the toughest times, and the times when sort of these um, wannabe or pretend populists get out there and, and try to say that they're there for you, the people, but in fact they're taking advantage of these moments we have of of decline and, and or challenge and trying to figure out where we go next, and which is to a great extent, and we talk about that a lot on this show, that we're in a time of economic change. Um, we're no longer a primarily industrial country. We're certainly no longer a primarily agricultural country. We're technological, and a lot of people um, have not caught up with that yet, and so they're getting left behind, and when that happens everything falls apart. You get crime, you get conflict, you get people at each other's throats. That's that's sort of what happened. So, so having the Pope emphasize again that this is the land of dreams, for me, was the most important thing he said. The second most important thing he said was that we have to remember we're supposed to be living by the golden rule. And the golden rule is basically do unto others as you would have Done onto you. I think that's about the right phrasing. I have someone in the room who probably knows this, the, his scriptures, so to speak, better than me because I'm not a, a very uh, a dog, uh, dogma-oriented person. Um, and he, he called out certain heroes in our history. MLK, for one, of course, Martin Luther King, um, uh, Abraham Lincoln. I don't know if you were listening on the radio, but a woman named uh, Doris Day, is it, uh, who's a Catholic leader. Um, who was favored um, religious tolerance, which is something we're having some difficulty with <laughs> around the country, right. and amongst some of the people running for office right now who f- forgot that America is the country of religious freedom <laughs> and are trying to say that some people have religious freedom and other people don't. I mean, it was a Carson, right? It was, uh, it was insane, insane stuff. Um, and then in his closing uh, moments, he was talking about the importance of opportunities for all. Opportunities is the theme of my show uh, today, and I have an extraordinarily important person in the room today. He may not think of himself that way, um, but he he has a responsibility to us um, in this state and throughout the Gulf Coast that is extraordinarily important. And following him are going to be two two people, um, two women who... Uh, are focused on the culture of our region. Uh, one who has done um, over a dozen, almost 20, documentaries about the culture of this region in one category or another, including her most recent about Biloxi memories. And the other, um, uh, Monique Vardin, is um, a Native American, Homa Indian, um, artist, and she is going to be on the show also, and, and she'll be talking about the culture of our area. And I'm hoping that maybe Justin Aaronworth, who is the head of something called the Restore Council, and I'm going to spell out exactly the full name of it because it's so important, um, is going to start off with uh, talking about the future of of Louisiana on the Gulf Coast, because I think that Nothing less than the entire future of this area hinges on how his council and he uh, do their jobs. So, and and let me just emphasize, because I want to catch your ear, those of you who want to tune out because this sounds a little too academic, we are talking about business, jobs. We are talking about literally what happens to the earth that we stand on and the water around us. You can't get too much more important than that. And what we're going to focus on in our conversation is what this Restore Council and its job mean for you. You have job opportunities, business opportunities galore, more so than I think almost any other commercial or industrial context in this state other than cultural. Other than cultural. You know how I feel about that. That is, to me, number one, and um, one of these days our business leaders and political leaders in the state will understand it. Maybe this coming year, as they try to figure out how to close, how to keep the state running with the uh, tanking of oil prices, this may be the year I'm sort of thinking, okay, we're not going to get any money for the arts this year. And then I said, well, wait a second, maybe this is the year they figure out that we can't rely on oil money to run our state. I don't know, that's wishful thinking probably, but this is, as the Pope said, a land of dreams. With that, Justin Aaronworth. So first of all, um, Justin, you just have to kind of introduce yourself and say who you are. Um, You are not a native Louisianan, but your wife is, so you are now rooted here. That's right. We all know how that works. And um, I want you to say just, you know, where you came from, what your job is. And again, I want to call out the name of his council. It's the Resources and Ecosystems, Sustainability, Tourist Opportunities, and Revived Economies of the Gulf Coast Act. That's what empowers his position. And I read that whole title because... A lot of us think this is only about restoring the Gulf Coast, which is very important, the ecological areas. But it also is about tourist opportunities and revised economies of the Gulf Coast. And this is where I'm going to try to get money for the arts, guys. You know what I mean? Okay. Justin.
1: Well, thanks very much, Jean, and thanks for that that introduction. I don't know the last time that I have uh, heard the whole – we call it the Restore Act because it's so hard to say that, that whole thing. But thanks for uh, – uh spelling it out because I think it's really important you know we are just briefly and I'll I'll say something about uh, uh my role but but our effort comes from the BP oil spill so the the money that we will have that we have now that we'll have in the future uh comes from the worst environmental disaster in our nation's history and um we've got right now um, about 800 million dollars from one of the parties. It's not BP. Everybody, I think, is, is familiar with BP's role in the in the oil spill. We call it the BP Deepwater Horizon oil spill. Uh, you may also be familiar with the fact that recently it was announced that BP is settling all of the claims against them um, from the from the government, the federal government, and the state governments for 18.7 billion. Um, so you total it all up, and 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 we're going to have uh, collectively. Around about twenty billion dollars to restore the Gulf. And now, Gene, in your introduction, you mentioned, you know, it's not just about the ecosystem; it's also the economy. And and I couldn't agree more. And and in fact, you know, when people have said to me in the past, "Are you doing uh, restoring the environment, or are you doing economic development? What what are you doing?" And the answer is yes, we're doing it all. That in the Gulf of Mexico here, it's it's you can't take these two apart. You can't separate the coast from our culture, from our economy, from the tourists who come here to enjoy it. It's all of one piece. So there are certain – and I don't want to get too technical with all this stuff, but there are certain elements of the money, certain pockets of the money that explicitly are for ecosystem restoration, other parts where you can do more economic development. But our vision – is really that it's all one and the same, that, that we need a holistic response to, to what the challenges we're facing.
0: Uh, I just want to stop here one minute because it's, this is such a phenomenal number, and I want to put it in context. How do we explain how big $20 billion is? Do you have some way of comparing that that, you, that we can – are you listening out there? I mean, you know, 260-9265, call in. If you understand what I'm trying to t- tell you here, that that if your child's in high school right now, he should be studying marine biology. He should be studying conservation. I, I want you to talk about some of the technical fields, Justin, that, that our youth should be studying to prepare for these job opportunities. Because we all talk about, you know, 50, what is it, 50 plus percent of young black males in the city of New Orleans are jobless. And they are jobless primarily because they didn't get the education they needed to catch up with the technical economy. But there's this particular economy here. It's not just about technical. It's not just about entrepreneurial, which is what we hear every day from our economic development people. But it is about coastal restoration. And we should be the poster children for the world on how you deal with not just the damages created by oil extraction and other you know, side effects of the industrial era, but the coming era of global warming. And so this is about our land. It is about our culture, but it is also about your future. So please listen carefully.
1: What, is, what does $20 right.
0: billion dollars mean? Well,
1: it's a lot of money to uh, us normal people. Um, when you start Looking at federal government budgets and all that stuff, you start, you know, $20 billion um, gets put, I think, in context. Um, uh, but maybe more specifically, the state of Louisiana, here we have a 50-year, $50 billion master plan. Now, many people have argued that uh, that the master plan doing everything could cost even more than $50 billion. So while $20 billion is a lot, it's a massive number, it's more money than I'm ever going to have or any of us are ever going to have, it's not enough. It's not enough to do what we need to do in Louisiana, but my charge, uh, uh, and I'll say a little more about the, the council, the Gulf Coast Ecosystem Restoration Council, um, we're to do restoration work, um, economic as well as cultural and um, and, and environmental, uh, across the entire Gulf of Mexico. So back to that $20 billion number, it's a big number. We're going to do a lot of good, but we need to really leverage that number. We need to – Use, there's so many other funding sources, government funding, private, others who, who I believe it is incumbent upon us to take that $20 billion and maximize it, get the biggest bang for every restoration buck that we've got um, as we do this work. And, Gene, and to your point about, about, about jobs and people being involved here – Again, I couldn't agree more. You know, some people think you got to go to the Netherlands to study how it is that people deal with water and sea level rise. And everybody
0: systems. forgets that the f- pumping system that they yes. use in the Netherlands was invented here, here. in New Orleans. Yes.
1: And yes. that, to me, that's if, right. if we have a – Yeah, t- to me, if there is a legacy of mm-hmm. our work, it is that we are restoring the coast which underneath it, everything we've been talking about, the culture, the environment, the economy, but also that we here in Louisiana and in the, in the Gulf Coast, we are the center of excellence for coastal restoration for the world. You know, there is it, – it, it, there's no doubt this was the worst environmental disaster, but from it and from the billions of dollars that we will have from BP and the other responsible parties, we have an incredible opportunity. And it's an opportunity not only to do the right thing by the ecosystem and economy, but also for the people who live and work here. Um, you know, so as gene said, I'm a, I'm a resident, proud resident now of, uh, of of New Orleans. I'm originally from Pittsburgh, so I'll probably keep you know rooting for the Steelers when they're not playing the Saints. And well, I get in oh, trouble I there. Have said that. I know I gotta gotta <laughs> gotta put that one in there, but you know, the Saints for my NFC team. But anyway, the, the the most important thing I could say related to um, uh, those interested in getting involved in this, getting the job training here. One of the things that the Restore Council is doing right now, we have a a list out for for everybody's review public comment uh, www.restorethegolf.gov uh, go check it out one of the things that we're proposing to do is some of the early money we have we're still waiting on the BP uh, settlement agreement to be uh, finalized but we have some money right now uh, from a party called Transocean one of the parties responsible and here's what we're proposing to do with a piece that, of it by the way? That's, that's, that's about already. 800 million uh, dollars plus plus interest that we have now and what we're, what we're proposing to do with a piece of that, about $8 million of, uh, of that money, is to create what we're calling a Gulf Coast Conservation Corps. And what that basically does, and, and this exists in other parts of the country. We don't have one um, just like this here. But what it basically we, we, we want to do is we want to train people now to do these jobs today and into the future. And when you think about the kind of jobs we're going to be doing with this with, with this $20 billion, we're going to be doing some very high skilled stuff, things that take, you know, advanced engineering and design. But We're also going to be doing a lot of work that, 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 that uh, is available, jobs that, that should and could be available to, Gene, you mentioned, you know, people coming out of, uh, out of jail. Well, look, there are, there are, there will be opportunities to, uh, build oyster beds. Now, this is not, you know, necessarily the most glamorous work, but it's critically important to our coast, and it's the kind of work that you can be trained to do. And get involved, and that's what we want to see. We don't want to see the jobs to implement the twenty billion dollars we'll have go to people from outside of the Gulf. The injury happened here, and here our view is that this is where we need people. Uh, we want people who live and work here to be doing these jobs.
0: And you never know where a job is going to. You know, uh, I'd love to take. Line, excuse me. I'd love to take line one. Guess what? I, I don't have a the phone thing here. I don't know how to do that. I'm looking, line one, Alfred. You have a call. Guess what? There's no, um, oh, I can just hear him. Alfred, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, we have a new system, and I didn't know about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sorry. Um, So, okay, go ahead, Alfred. What you got?
1: Uh, Well,
2: I I turned on the radio uh, just a couple of minutes ago, and I heard you mentioning about the 52% uh, of African-American males who uh, should you know, maybe pursue
1: the studying of uh, the biological sciences for this, you know, $20 billion coming in. Well, the reason I'm calling in is because I do have a biology degree. I am unemployed. I am African-American. I can put together a resume. What do
0: I need to do? What does he need to do, Justin?
1: Well, what I can tell you, uh, there isn't a thing to do um, today as far as our money is concerned. What we're planning to do um, right now is to put together uh, uh, some training programs that you might be interested in. You might also look at it and say, you know, I'm interested in some other some other opportunities. So I, I can't, unfortunately, tell you today the place to go for our council. However, what I, what I could suggest to you is to, uh, if, if you're able to, to, to get online, to check out the – C-P-R-A, which is the Louisiana State Agency, the Coastal Protection Redevelopment Authority, um, that, is, that is the most active agency on, in, in our work, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and check out their, uh, th- their website. There's some contact information uh, there. Uh, my suggestion for, for what to do today would be to look there, but I'd suggest in the long term to, to, to keep an eye out for what we're, we're doing. It takes us a little bit uh, longer. We've got to go through a few more steps before uh, uh, our funding will actually be, you know, something we can implement.
0: You know, but um, let let me just say this, uh, Justin. Why can't either your council or uh, maybe it has to be with some of our universities and and, um, our community colleges um, sort of start identifying some of the um, – the the kinds of companies that are going to be executing the work where people can kind of get a foothold right now. Like if if I were you, Alfred, the first thing I would be doing is trying to contact some of the marine biology companies that are operating in this region. Now, the the issue is how to find a list of them. And the, the thing that occurs to me is City Business. City Business Publication puts out a list every year of all the companies, the major companies operating in this area. And you can go into, uh, and and actually it must be online. I think you have to pay a couple dollars to get access to it. But then once you get in there and you start looking, literally look down the list and find those companies that are doing this work. And maybe something that your council could do that would be a little bit more hands-on at this stage than you're ready for, but it wouldn't hurt to start getting people thinking about what, are the jobs what are the kinds of jobs and what are the kinds of companies that are going to be I know for example my husband um, is an artist but he his day job is working with engineering and architecture firms and they are hustling like crazy right now to identify um, their business opportunities and there are companies right now in reorganization hiring people who have the kind of skills that are going to position them to be able to compete in this new world. So, you know, while you may not be quite ready uh, to, uh, you certainly can be doing research right now in identifying the jobs and the companies, and um, maybe that's something really the city should be thinking about also. I mean, some of the various um, uh, metropolitan uh, uh, economic development offices, you know, that's another idea. Okay, there's a new guy, New Orleans, business, I'm sorry, this is my approach to the world. It's like, what can you do, not just talk about? The New Orleans Business Alliance, it's called. And that is a partnership of business and public interests. They have a new director. I'm not going to remember his name right now. Maybe somebody can call me in and remind me, but I'm, I'm hoping to meet him soon. Um, that. Uh, is in the business of identifying these new opportunities. And I'd be very surprised if somebody in that office doesn't have some expertise in this area who can literally tell you some of the companies that are gearing up for this business. I can tell you, for one, the engineering companies are, but I'm not sure that's the right direction for you as a biology major. I think for a biology major, it's going to be more, again, the marine biology people and I'm not sure, you know, but I would call New Orleans Business Alliance and Greater New Orleans, Inc. as well. Uh, okay. Quentin, somebody before, just sent me the I name.
2: Have, uh, if he could just repeat one more time, because I have someone else writing it down in another room so as not to yeah. cause feedback. The, it was
0: CPRA.
1: Yes. you C- C-P-R-A, yes. C-P-R-A. A, C-P-R-A, C-P-R-A. Okay. A, that's the state agency. And and the reason I mention them is that – and I didn't say much about our, our council, but we are – our members – are the ones who actually carry out the projects, who would be, you know, awarding contracts and, and, and making sure that the, the dirt's getting turned and the projects are getting done. So it's one of 11 members. So it's the five Gulf Coast states. That's why I mentioned Louisiana and the CPRA here, and then six federal agencies. So I think that that might be, you know, the, the, looking at Louisiana, CPRA might be a nice place to uh, to start. But I also agree with what what Gene what said, that the way that, that I think you can see what's coming down the horizon, is by looking at something like the Louisiana State Master Plan. You see in there you see the kind of projects that the state has already said it wants to do and needs to do. And I think over time with the with the twenty billion dollars Louisiana share of that money, I think you're very likely to see those projects get carried out. So by by looking at some of that, I think and I, I'm sure How that the company's genes. Yeah, the company that Jean had. Well, the the CPRA website that I mentioned. Um, that I think is the place, the easiest place to go and find the Louisiana State Master Plan.
0: This is the master plan for coastal restoration. That's it's right. not just the master plan for the universe. It's
1: that's right. The master plan thing. for for that's right. Not the for the for the universe unless you live in coastal Louisiana, and then it is the universe <laughs> to us sometimes. But. Uh, no, that's right, and you'll see there it's a, it's a very thoughtful plan that I think if we actually got all the money we need would really help uh, uh, preserve what we love about and, and care so much about in coastal Louisiana. It only
0: took them about 20 years to write it, so there's got to have some good in it. <laughs>
1: that's right, and, and, and for the first time now, and this is one of the ironies of the oil spill, a terrible disaster, but it does give us this opportunity. Louisiana has had this great master plan. That the first version was in 2007. Uh, Now we actually have the money. Now we actually have a big chunk of the money, not the full amount of money, but we have an important down payment, let's call it, on on moving the needle on some of those projects. So there will be a lot of... A lot of opportunity, I believe, to, uh, to to be a part of that work.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of hand-wringing over how we were going to actually find the money to implement the master plan. That was a lot of the discussions that we in the news business were having, and in, in the coastal business uh, over the past uh, decade, is how are we going to do this? How are we going to pay for it? Where are we going to get the money? And by the time we get the money, how much more will we need? Because the coastal restoration, again, is not going away. And the, uh, the impact of the Spill. Uh, nobody has a clue yet. Tell me I'm wrong about the science of what this is really going to do in the Gulf. And that's one of the questions that I had for you. Thank you, Alfred. Good luck. Listen, thank you, C, you Alfred. C is in Charlie, P is in Peter, R is in Robert, A is in Alice. C P R A, the Louisiana State Master Plan. Good luck. Now, um, we're dealing. Most of the projects, and I want you to just sort of give an overview, there's a bunch of them in every state, and it's f- focused on the most threatened watersheds, and so we have to sort of define what a watershed is. Um, and, uh, um, and, again, you know, as you said, environmental, cultural, um, and economic. But what about the Gulf itself? Because that's that's what scares me when I think about the little teeny creatures at the bottom of the of the gulf that are eating oil, you know they're eating oil. What is going on there? How are we going to find that out? Is that part of the charge of the council to figure that out? What's going on out there?
1: It's actually that's not part of uh, part of our charge. Although that's an, a critically important piece of it. Um, so, and when I say it's not part of our charge, we're not the group that's tasked with figuring out what was the damage done by the spill. Well, who is? There is a group, and, and they are called the Natural Resource Damage Assessment Trustee Council. When you're in government, everything needs to be long, and you've got to have acronyms. So we call it the NERDA, N-R-D-A. N-R-D-A. Is uh, uh, is the abbreviation we call it the NERDA Trustee Council. Trustee Council. Council. Okay. And this is this this comes from a law that was set up uh, established in 1990 in response to the Exxon Valdez disaster that that happened up in Alaska. Huh, okay. And 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 the crux of it basically is that when there's an oil spill like this, the the relevant trustees, in this case again, it's the five states as well as a number of federal agencies, um, uh, get together and determine how the resource, in this case, really the the, the environment was uh, uh, was damaged, and then they hold the parties responsible, in this case BP and the others, for uh, fixing that damage. So in the in the in the coming um, uh, months, we'll see um, documents uh, from the trustee council related to what they call the agreement in principle with BP. That's the settlement agreement, really, with uh, with BP that has to move from what is now an agreement in principle to a final consent decree by the court. And during that process, I think we'll see a lot more uh, material and information um, from that group, Gene, on exactly your question about the damage, what are the steps that are going to be taken to to fix it. There's over a billion dollars that was identified in the agreement in principle to address open water, they call it blue water, sometimes issues. Actually, what happened out in the uh, uh, out in the Gulf of Mexico? So I think that that while that's not the, the direct focus of our group, we'll all be seeing a lot more about that in the coming uh, in the coming months.
0: Right, and then the other um, uh, question about that uh, again is again it, it has job implications. It has contract implications. So um, how would you paraphrase what the opportunities in that? Area might be,
1: you know, very similar uh, to to what uh, what I what I've already mentioned. Um, that all of the projects, you know, the what the NERDA uh, trustee council process uh, that is under the what I'd mentioned of the roundabout twenty billion dollar um, figure. So a big part of uh, of of that figure is actually this natural resource damage assessment uh, process. Mm-hmm. All of these processes, my council, the the, the NERDA trustee council, there's criminal money that has – criminal penalty money that has gone to something called the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation, another great acronym. We call it NIFWIF. Uh, (laughs) So they've got uh, many billions of dollars from the criminal side of uh, of BP. You put this all together, and at the end of the day, uh, we have to very closely coordinate between all these acronym soups. Um, and make sure that, because my guess is that in 5, 10, 20 years, nobody cares whether the dollar came from Restore or NERDA or NIFWIF. It's all about are we doing the right thing? Are we restoring the Gulf? Are we getting people jobs to participate in all this restoration work? And I think we're, we're at the beginning of a marathon. You know, the spill was over five years ago, but, the, you know, these processes unfortunately take a lot longer than, than many of us think they should. We're very happy that it looks like the litigation with BP is over with that settlement, uh, that agreement in principle, and if that is ultimately ratified by the court, I mean, that's another major step. But the, but the fact is we're going to be doing this work over the next 20 years just 20, from the BP, BP oil 20? <laughs> at, at least. Well, I say that because the uh, the payment schedule for, so, for BP um, is set to be over a, about a 15-year period. So that's very good for us because you had made a point uh, before about how are we actually going to fund the Louisiana State Master Plan um, the oil spill is not the final answer it 's a piece of it, but it's it 's only going to be one piece the The larger fifty billion dollar master plan we in Louisiana are still going to need to find many other sources to fund all these projects uh, over time and uh, you know the state of, of course is is working very hard at uh, doing that there are a number of, uh, of of places that the state is and i 'm sure will continue. Uh, sources that they 'll continue to to draw from to get these master plan projects done, but this is a marathon it 's not a it 's not a sprint
0: yeah, and, and maybe some of the uh, uh, public officials who get elected in the next round of um, the elections will pay more attention to um, what we need to do in the future than fighting over um, uh, irrelevant issues that have nothing to do with the economy of our state. I'm sorry, I had to editorialize that. That doesn't uh, fall under um, no. Under I, you your know, title. know, I,
1: I will tell you, that there was a there was a, a forum um, about a, I think it was about a month ago. The four candidates for governor of Louisiana all came, and it was a forum just on coastal restoration. And there's never been such a thing in a in a, in a uh, gubernatorial election before. And um, while I am you know, neutral as to who wins because the person will be on our council and on our board, uh, the thing that I was so excited to hear, all four candidates said – they talked about their commitment to the Louisiana master plan. They talked about their commitment to uh, using the money that is available from the oil spill and other sources to protect the coast. So from my perspective as both a resident of Louisiana and New Orleans as well as you know somebody who's doing this for a living – it was really good to hear that no matter who wins, they have publicly stated this this commitment. And that, I think, is owed, Gene, uh, to you and everybody who listens to your show and the people who have been paying attention to these issues because the politics have shifted now where this – coastal restoration in Louisiana has to be protected, has to be at the, at the forefront. And that, to me, was just a, a very, very exciting development from that uh, – uh, from that forum.
0: So, um, Justin, after you've uh, gotten this off the ground and, and this marathon has begun, um, uh, I, I need you to come over and work on the cultural side and, and, and penetrate the consciousness of our public and business leaders about the importance of our cultural industries as well. And. Um, so my two closing notes with you because I do have two other guests, but I'd like you to hang in if you can for just a minute and hear these ladies because maybe they'll help me make the point about how important we, it is to get the cultural component because, uh, into your program. I'm, I have to recall, I worked a lot with the America's Wetland, uh, group, uh, initially to try to bring home this story about our need for coastal restoration. And I really have to credit that. Effort, King Milling and Valmar Million, and all those characters who were involved in that, for for, for really raising the consciousness of this issue. When they started, the awareness on this was, was zero, really, barely. Um, above ground and then they really um, got it going but one of the things that we did was at, at one point um, Val Marmillion, who's a great PR guy was was into visualization and so am I so what we did was we we had a football field everybody talks about a football field that, that we're losing of, of um, earth every half hour coastal uh, marshes and uh, so we did a visualization out on a football field and we had the names of the communities that were in jeopardy, all these little villages that are, uh, the culture of which is unique in the United States, in jeopardy. And so the cultural ramifications on both sort of an indigenous level as well as the more innovative and fine arts level is is totally threatened by this loss of land. So two-part question one, there are those out there who already say it's too late. So somebody quoted... Um, Who's the famous science writer? The one who's um, quadriplegic, um, Stephen Hawking. So Stephen Hawking said, "It's over. In a hundred years, our Earth is going to be basically destroyed by our pollution and our predator. As the ch- as the Pope's expression, our predatory attitude towards our our Earth and our the other critters of the world." So. You know, is this all in vain or not? That's question number one. Just a small question. And then two is, um, to what extent can we count you to count on you to really think about the cultural uh, component, the cultural economy, and the and the and the indigenous and the innovative culture of our region as part of your charge?
1: Well, to the the first question, you won't be surprised uh, to hear me say that I don't think it's all in vain. Um, I think that we have an opportunity now, and we got to get it right we just got to get it right. You don't get this amount of money to do this sort of work very often. And the challenges are, 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 are massive, and they can't all be fixed in the Gulf of Mexico. You know, there's a dead zone that develops uh, uh, in the Gulf of Mexico as a result of hypoxia and people who are much smarter on these issues than me have said if you want to fix the dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico Fertilizer. you got to go all the way up that's Fertilizer. right you got to go all the way up the Mississippi River the watershed so the problems that we have here are massive you know sea level rise uh, uh d- these are these are big big problems and we the restore council with 20 billion dollars we can't we can't fix them but we can play a big part we believe in trying to get this right uh and then when it comes to um you know thinking about uh issues like uh a culture – I mean, I'll go back to really what I said at the beginning. To us, you don't have to separate all these things. If we don't restore the ecosystem, we don't restore the environment, that's going to have a terrible impact on the economy, a terrible impact on our culture, uh, on, on our arts. Uh, one of the projects in our early money that we're proposing to do is, is in the Bayou du Large area uh, that would directly benefit the Chittimacha tribe of, uh, of Louisiana – and I had a chance to visit with the tribal chair uh, not long ago, and, and he said to me, he said, look, this project is so important to us. Not only is it going to be good for the, you know, the whole state and, and restoring some of the ecosystem in that area, but a lot of their cultural and historical uh, heritage sites um, would be uh, adversely impacted if we don't do this. So we really see a lot of this as one and the same. It may not be you know, direct funding to uh, some of the areas and projects that, 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 that everybody would like to see, But we're trying to approach this really with a holistic mindset that the ecosystem, the economy, our way of life in the Gulf of Mexico are all just interrelated.
0: Okay. Well, you you know that we're going to have you back. I'd be basis. delighted to
1: come back. I mean,
0: we, we, we could uh, do two hours uh, with you uh, in, 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 without a doubt, and uh, attending a, one of the forums that you just presented locally. Oh, that was one other question I have. I'm sorry. So you, you've you done a series of forums. You've got some community input. Um now what? And, and he said that the period for input was ended on September 28th. Surely that doesn't mean that the uh, of opportunity for people to interact with and communicate with you is over. So how does that go forward?
1: Yes. No, you're absolutely right. So the, the we have a, a document out there right now on our website. Again, it's RestoreTheGolf.gov. Um, it's called a Draft Funded Priorities List. Again, we call it an FPL. You've got to have acronyms in the government. Um, so That is out there right now for public comment uh, through uh, uh, September 28th, so so, uh, that comment period closes on Monday, and we've had meetings all across the Gulf, gotten great uh, feedback, very helpful feedback on how to – uh, how to move forward with that work, but that's just a small piece. That's 180 million dollars of what will ultimately be many billions of dollars. So, Gene, you're absolutely right. the The time to interact with us is not over on Monday the 28th. It's just one one small piece. So, through our website, we're going to be having meetings and uh, interacting with people all throughout uh, Louisiana and the the coast, really over the next uh, 20 years. Uh, so, we're just we're just getting started. And I'll, I'll thank everybody who's uh, listening. That's come to one of those meetings and and been a part of uh, uh, our work so far. We don't have all the answers, so we need everybody's help figuring out how to maximize this opportunity.
0: Restorethegulf.gov.
1: Gov. Gov. G-U-V. (laughs) G-O-V. Let me learn how to spell government. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Try GOV. That probably won't work, although that sometimes sounds that way, doesn't it, the girls? All right. So Thank um, you. Uh,
0: As I said, if you can, just hang in for a little bit. Yes. Uh, let's, let's talk uh, with Barbara. I don't know where uh, Miss Verdan is. Or she may have forgotten about this. We'll have to catch her next time. But I, I wanted her to come on because I wanted, the, quite frankly, I wanted her to talk about the River House exhibition that she's a part of right now. In Poitras, Louisiana, exactly a half an hour down the road from, and I I learned lately that the way St. Bernardians, I'm learning a lot about St. Bernard lately because I'm doing so many projects there, but one of the the ways that St. Bernardians talk about their area is down the road and up the road. Poitras is down the road, is further down into St. Bernard. But this absolutely bucolic, gorgeous spot, uh, on a what was a bayou, became a lake as a result of a crevasse, a breach in the levee in 1922. And we have now a sculpture garden and a museum there. And in that museum right now are beautiful portraits by artists such as um, uh, Blake Boyd and Jonathan Traviesa and Keith uh, Calhoun and Chandra McCormick and um, Kelsey Skult. Gorgeous, gorgeous photographs and also interviews, video interviews with a lot of the people down there, a real mix of people that I did with a, a videographer by the name of um, um, Michael Lancaster. So, um, so there, my staff who thinks I can't remember names. <laughs> <laughs> Grabbed it out of the air. All right. So uh, I just want you to come down and see that show. It's open on weekends from 11 to 4, and that's uh, I wanted um, Monique to talk about it. She may still show up, but it's looking not so much. Uh, but I wanted Barbara on the show today, too, because she just came out uh, with a new book, and it's based also on a, um, a video that she has done. She has done many videos about the culture of this region. Uh, are you a native Louisiana, or I know you lived here for many years.
2: I'm not a native, but I can claim to be a Louisianan because I have three daughters that were all born,
0: raised here, and went to public school
2: in New Orleans. There you go.
0: <laughs> but this latest book is called Biloxi Memories, and yes. uh, Biloxi is another place I've done some hanging out in because I brought Frank Gehry um into the, the state George, George. to work on the ore Museum. I, I think that was a blessing and a curse because, of course, it's gorgeous architecture, but the price of the project went <laughs> uh, from well, about ten million to about forty million. So you know, it's a, it really changed things. But tell me about your work on on this uh, uh, Biloxi Memories and and surely again, this is about the culture of the Gulf Coast. It
2: is it is about the culture of the Gulf Coast. It is a celebration of the people their history, and it takes it all the way up to the present day. And it celebrates artists like George Orr, and it tells the story of the George Orr Museum and how it was damaged as it was being built, and then its comeback since Katrina. So this is all about, actually, coastal restoration. I mean, back as early as the 1920s, they were dealing with loss of land all along the coast, erosion. And they built a seawall. And then in the 1940s, the seawall was actually washing away, and that beautiful 26 miles of sand beach that you see today was actually built not for recreation. It was
0: built as a buffer to hold back the seawall. You see, I really didn't know that, I, and I was just on that beach this weekend. Mm-hmm. With my uh, Australian shepherd and my border collie walking in the surf, mm-hmm. thinking, oh, the salt water is going to be good for them, right? <laughs> salt water mixed with a little bit of oil droplets, <laughs> no doubt. But, um, I, and I was thinking about what a shame that there was a highway there, mm-hmm. you know, Highway 90. And and um, thinking this would have been beautiful without it, but it's a much more complicated history. It, it's as It's a saying. very
2: it's a much more complicated history. And also the book Biloxi Memories talks about the weight ins So there's a very important component the, in the Bil- what the wait-ins. It was a um, in 1960, Dr. Gilbert Mason, who was the only black physician in Biloxi led a series of wait-ins, a protest, because what most people don't know is that the beach was for whites only
0: up until from
2: the 1950s through 1967.
0: You know, that's an interesting statement because we were there kind of late in the afternoon, Mm -hmm. um, and there were very few people on the beach. It was Sunday afternoon. Mm -hmm. This is not Labor Day weekend, but, you know, two weekends later. And I noticed that as it got darker, More black people were coming onto the beach. And I felt like, are they more comfortable? No, I wouldn't say that.
2: I wouldn't say that at all. To me, today, the beach is fully integrated.
1: integrated. I've been
2: there now when I did the documentary and the research for the book. um, I've spent a lot of time there. And it's all due to the efforts of Dr. Mason, who led this peaceful protest Hmm. out to the beach. And it turned into what was called Bloody Sunday, and he was met with violent resistance. Which Where then was that? for this was in 19, in the nineteen sixties. Mm-hmm. And then the federal government sued the city of Biloxi because this beach was built with federal money that the beach had to be open to all. And it wasn't settled, I believe, until nineteen sixty eight when the Biloxi Beach was fully integrated. And if you go by the Biloxi Lighthouse today and the story of the lighthouse is in the book Biloxi Memories, right across from the lighthouse on the beach is a historic marker which talks about the wait-ins and the efforts of Dr. Gilbert Mason. So Biloxi has has a very complicated history, a very rich history, a very diverse history. I was going to
0: say, demographically, it's as complicated as New Orleans or New York. A lot of people, when I first came here from New York, were asking me, was this culture shock? And I said, no. no. The demography is so similar. Right. You know, it's a combination. We don't have as many French let's say, um, in New York, but all the other... Uh, right. uh, and, uh, yeah. and then you have all the Slavic people. Right, even. and
2: the Slavic people were brought into Biloxi to work in the seafood processing plants. So Biloxi's culture is as diverse and mixed as New Orleans' culture. Mm-hmm. And the early settlers to Biloxi were actually Creoles. And a lot of people in Biloxi do have the Cajun names of Broussard and Thibodeau. So you'll find a very interesting... Mix that's very similar to New Orleans, and the ties between the two cities are very strong.
0: But then you also have a lot of Native American yes. influence, and not only Native American, well, not in Biloxi, even Central American. Well, throughout the Gulf Coast, throughout the Gulf Coast, and though although Biloxi, of Mississippi, yeah, but
2: although Biloxi was named after the Biloxi natives in- that were seen by Iberville, no. Biloxi people live in Biloxi anymore. They actually live in Louisiana with the Tunica, and they have formed a new group called the Tunica Biloxi, and they have a reservation and a casino in Louisiana. So it's just sort of a strange dichotomy that it's named after a group of people, and that group of people no longer live there. But I do want to mention one thing I had done. You you mentioned Bayou Delarge. I had done a documentary called Hidden Nation, And the group of Native Americans that I was documenting at that point were the Homa, not the Chittimacha. And they are 17,000 strong, and their story is little known. And you said you were bringing in a Homa artist today. Well, we'll get her in next week. (laughs) But their cultural traditions now, they are reviving the half-hitch coil basket that was done originally by their people. So they are now trying to... Preserve a culture that is lost. Their language pretty much is lost because they began to speak the French of the French explorers who came in. And so, and they were not allowed in the public school system until the Civil Rights Act. So, when they were living in Placomans Parish, they could not go to school. They could not go to school until 1967. So, a lot of them remained uneducated. Hmm. And so, it is just now that they are beginning to have. Uh, Children that go to college. This, I mean, they didn't even go to
0: grammar school. And, and actually, as as many people know, the mm-hmm. the infamous Trail of Tears mm-hmm. really hit the Gulf Coast hard. It right. it, it, it took people out uh, all along the way. But um, I have the privilege of living in a uh, I, not living, but I have a a little sort of cabin in the woods mm-hmm. in. Um, I say sort of a cabin because it's a red brick ranch house, (laughs) but uh, everything else about it is cabin-like in in the woods on the Wolf River. And I am surrounded by people of Choctaw origin. Choctaw, yeah. And um, we all have a theory that they hid in those woods. That is the story of
2: the homeless. They did. That is why they're down in the bayous, because they were originally up by the Red River and the uh, where the Red River and the the Mississippi join. And as the influx of... Whites, white explorers, white families moved in. They moved further and further, and then during the Trail of Tears, they went down into the bayous and they were scattered into the bayous so that they could survive and they could stay and not be taken on the Trail of Tears. So that is why the homeless live down in the bayous today. It's why they don't have a reservation and why they don't have
0: a central location, and why they are now threatened with coastal erosion and the loss of their villages. So they're getting hit. Both ways from right. from from the lo- when they got pushed down there, right. and now when they're going to get pushed back. Right. So lack of
2: education, lack of jobs, lack of even to have a place to live. So and to and to preserve their culture because they their children were taught not to identify themselves as Native American for fear in generations of being taken away. So they actually mm. literally hid their culture, hid their identity.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and, that, and now I have, um, you know, I, I live with someone who, who talks constantly about the need for people to um, uh, get out of denial and, and recognize that they may, in fact, have to move back before this is all over because um, the erosion is so severe mm-hmm. and w- whether it's 200 years or 100 years it, it's, it's happening now constantly mm-hmm. and there are people who already have had to abandon their homes along the coast of Louisiana
2: Right, well even when you go to Biloxi as much, they've done a wonderful job, they're a resilient people and they've done a wonderful job with some of the funds that they received post Katrina, post BP oil spill But these people, um, if you drive along Beach Boulevard, you are still going to see vacant lot after vacant lot after vacant lot where homes once were because people can no longer afford the flood insurance. They can't afford to build in the area, so a lot of them have not come back because they simply can't afford to rebuild. I
0: can't tell you how grateful I am for raising that point because this is one of my – personal, real concerns. Here's an opportunity. Did you you ever hear about, I think it's called the Queen's Pearls, is a a section of Australia along the coast that was preserved, um, conserved away from development that is very beautiful. And I drive along the coast a lot and I look at all those green lots and say, why can we not Purchase. Why can the state or the feds not purchase some of these green lots Mm -hmm. along the coast that are too dangerous to go back to or whether it's too expensive because of flood insurance and develop them into, um, you know, a a new sort of, you know, not Queen's Pearls, but some other expression that, that why can't they be preserved? My husband keeps saying the cost of the land is too high. Justin.
1: I'll jump in. Yeah, we we actually in our early money we're proposing to do. We call it strategic land acquisition in two places, in Texas and in Mississippi. So in Texas, we're talking about preserving, uh, buying really from willing landowners. We're not talking about eminent domain and that kind of thing. But these are uh, from willing landowners, uh, areas that are beautiful habitat that are just development risk. That if we don't conserve it and buy it now, then it is likely to be um, to be developed. In Mississippi, we're looking at three places. Um, Gulf Island National Seashore, uh, DeSoto, and um, uh, uh, and then also uh, roundabout in the Grand Bay area uh, uh, for some possibilities around strategic land acquisition. So we can we can do it. There are a lot of highly vetted great targets for it. Uh, I think your husband is right. Sometimes the cost of the money uh, of the land can get uh, can get high, and that's just one of the the many you know questions that we, our group has to deal with of how to prioritize the money that we've uh, the money that we've got.
2: Well, I know in Biloxi, the one thing that they have down, you know, right opposite the coast of Biloxi is Deer Island, that long strip of sandy beach right across the channel. And the state has, in 2002, took 400 acres and made it a coastal, it's called a state coastal preserve. And so it's a um, migratory a migratory habitat for the osprey, for the blue heron. So they have, they have started that type of thing. I,
0: I, I'm impressed and, and admire, admire what you're talking about, but I'm telling you that it's a pity to not take advantage of the opportunity of those green lots along the coast and make the houses that are back behind them rich for having this in front of them if you say that. Maybe if you got some of those landowners that are right behind it together to advance the idea of keeping this open as park land. I'm thinking Battery Park, you know, a a terrible example because it's right in the heart of an extremely urban area. But if, if they could figure out how to do Battery Park on the edge of Manhattan on the west, on the Hudson River. Then surely we could figure out how to save a few green lots on the coast of, of uh, Mississippi. Keith, I, I'm sorry I kept you waiting.
1: Thank you and good morning to everyone. Good morning. Good morning. The land are
2: they still using those green Christmas trees to help
1: replenish replenish land down there? I think so. Yes. Yes, yes yeah. they are. That that that's the uh, uh, actually it's a program. Um, I believe it's the the state uh, state of Louisiana's program. But yes, that is a. Uh, uh, it was done, uh, definitely done uh, last Christmas time.
2: Are those Christmas trees helping a little bit?
1: You know, they. You said it right. They help a little bit. What they don't oh, do is they don't solve the problem, crazy? but they help. They definitely help. I was flirting with a crazy idea. Why don't you have a lot of acres and just grow a lot of Christmas trees and cut them down? And you know, I know it sounds crazy, but. I was flirting with that
0: idea it's not such a crazy idea mm-hmm. what you're basically saying is to grow things yeah. for the purpose of using Bro. them to to save uh, the co- I don't, you know you never there's no crazy idea in no, this business no there's,
1: there's not it's it's the, it, there there are no crazy ideas i mean i can tell you one of the things that that we're doing that's similar to that idea that's a real big part of the state master plan is um, it's not so much the, the trees themselves, but it's the dirt, it's the sediment. Yeah. We're talking about taking the sediment, the the, the dirt, and uh, either bringing it in on a on a barge. Uh, yeah. They call it beneficial use of so when they dredge uh, the, the river and they dredge various port areas. You know, they they, they pick all that dirt up, and yeah. we're, we want to use. It, we, we call it beneficial use is the fancy term for it, but just really using that using that same same concept that you've got, Keith. Basically, using that that dirt, that sediment, mm-hmm. to rebuild uh, more land. It's the same kind of principle behind uh, the, the Christmas tree or the or, or tree idea. Or well, they're the tree doing idea. that in
2: lower okay. plaquemines. my call. Thank you, Keith. Thank,
1: Thank you, Keith. you, Keith.
2: No, I know they're doing that in lower plaquemines. They have a pump in the Mississippi River that's pumping the sediment from the Mississippi River over the bank and then trying to add, re-put the soil Back in the swamps and build it up again.
1: Yes, no, that's that's exactly right. One of the key strategies we have in Louisiana, we call it diverting the Mississippi River, mm-hmm. and the, the the principle behind it all is that if uh, you know we've got all these levees along the, the the river, which of course help and protect us from from floods, and that's that's wonderful. The downside is that in the old days, the river used to flood periodically. Correct, it did And the, naturally. And the, and the sediment would just go over and it would replenish the right. land. Well, now we've channeled it where it just goes all the way down the river and it goes mm-hmm. off the outer continental shelf into the Gulf right. of Mexico, not helping to rebuild any right. land. So we're talking about using the power of the river to help okay. us with our land loss That's problem. Yeah.
0: Um, we're, we're almost out of time, but I, I, I can't uh, resist uh, pointing out that in uh, Barbara's book, Biloxi Memories, which, by the way, is also based on a – um, A documentary that I did for PBS. Right. Um, that there are some fun, sexy parts of this, too. <laughs> I couldn't help it as I flipped through, uh, was looking at the photographs. Not only was I, uh, did I see George Orr with his flowing mustache and wild eyes but also of course Jane Mansfield yes. who's very famous And I'll tell you a really quick story
2: about Jane. Okay. What most people you know, think of her as the dumb blonde. Well she actually had an IQ in the 160s oh my and she used to God. say the public doesn't care about my brains. They only care about my 40, 23, 36 assets.
0: <laughs> well and I, and I will leave it at assets because I was instructed at a meeting internal meeting here at WB okay yesterday that the feds are getting tighter about what words you can and can't say and there's a certain word that starts with t that refers to the same body parts that you're talking about that we're not allowed to use on the air and i said now what is wrong with that word is that in
1: george carlin's list of things that cannot be said Um, well it's in the
0: fcc's list of things yeah one step up from george carlin (laughs) i was shocked to hear that what in the world is wrong with that word that's not Word, especially in a city where people hold up signs that's, that use yes. that word. Yes, show us your. A, yes, <laughs> During Mardi Gras, yes. On a regular basis. <laughs> well, I think Biloxi Memories must be a kick. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to um, checking further into it. and um, uh, oh, Can
2: I just put in a really quick promo? I'll be please. talking, uh, I'll be having a lecture at Octavia Books Monday night starting at
0: 6 o'clock and a book signing for Biloxi Memories. Oh, fantastic. And I, I know a lot of people from New Orleans, of course either have now or have had summer homes yes. on the on the Gulf Coast. And it, it's easy to understand why the minute you drive down to the beach mm-hmm. in Mississippi and the breeze from the Gulf yes. hits your face, yes. you know that in the pre-air conditioning days in particular, Yes. That's where people that's had where people to go went. to get away from that. And
2: they either stayed at the, the big hotels like the Broadwater Beach, or they stayed at the motels, the very kind of quirky motels like the sun and sand motels with the golden arch or, over the highway. Or, or those gorgeous mansions.
0: Yes. The, well, <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that, that was a more coast. select few. <laughs> yeah. But um, you, you can see why the Gulf Coast became a place uh, to spend time. In, and that's actually where we got our start, my family, uh, in, in uh, this part of the world. Ah. My husband first came to the Gulf Coast after Camille to help the redevelopment redevelop- of the coast after that. And he recommended they do things like create a green park along the coast <laughs> that nobody wants You're gonna to get hear that about. <laughs> yes. All right. Listen, again, down to the River House on Saturdays and Sundays from 11 to 4. Myrtle Banks Building in Central City has this gorgeous show called The People's Murals. Ten huge, gorgeous murals painted by hundreds of people, done by my organization, the Creative Alliance of New Orleans. That's my little promo since I don't have advertisers. I do my own. This is Jean Nathan. This is Crossdown Conversations, and thank you for listening. Don't forget, the, tell them the website one more time.
1: Restorethegolf.gov. G-O-V, not U-V. <laughs>
0: This is your future. I'm telling you. Listen to me. Bye.